come see what God has done. That's what our passage is really about this morning in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, because it is about the grace of God. See what God has done for us that we were incapable of doing for ourselves. Over the last few weeks leading up to Christmas, we've been looking at John's version of the Christmas story. And we saw back in verses 1 through 3 that Jesus is the Word. He's the eternal divine Word who was with God in the beginning, who is in fact himself God. We saw that Jesus came, and when he came, he brought light to the world. He brought light into the darkness, and in so doing, also brought life to those who believe in him. We saw last week that because of the coming of Jesus, we who were estranged from God, we who were uh, rebels, guilty, condemned sinners, that through Jesus we might become children of God. And this morning we see verses 14 through 18 that God has lavished on us abundant grace in the sending of his son to us. I want to read this morning going back to verse 1 and read through verse 18, but our focus this morning will just be on verses 14 through 18. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity, the privilege to come and to gather around your word and to reflect 
on the grace that you have given to us. Lord, what a gracious gift was given when the eternal word, the eternal son of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We thank you for that grace that was revealed in him and through him. Father, help us to reflect on that, to meditate on that today. And Lord, may your spirit do his work in our hearts. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The theme of this morning's message is the grace of Christmas, the grace of God. And verses 14 through 18 reveal several ways that God was gracious to us. But I want to focus on three this morning. And the first of those is in verse 14, where we see that God was gracious to us when he humbled himself and came to earth as a man to live among us. There's a lot in that statement, isn't there? God was gracious to us when he humbled himself and came to earth as a man to live among us. We learn back in verse one that the word who became flesh is God. So God became flesh and dwelt among us. It's one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith that the Bible clearly reveals to us and reveals to us time and time again so that there is no mistaking it, but it's hard for our human minds to comprehend that God could become a man without ceasing to be God. That's what the incarnation is. The incarnation, that's what, the incarnation is essentially Latin, meaning to become enfleshed. To, be, to become human. And so God became human, came in flesh. The incarnation is God becoming man, fully man. Completely in every way, a full human being, a descendant of Adam. And yet at the same time, still fully God, fully divine in the person of the son of God, Jesus Christ. That is a gracious gift of God. Because think about the humility. Think about the condescension that is required for that act. Paul describes it for us in Philippians chapter 2. He focuses on that humility in that passage. And he says that Jesus was in full equality with God. So Jesus had all of the rights and privileges of deity because he is deity. He is fully God and he enjoyed all the privileges, all the glory, all the majesty of heaven that God deserves. And he was there with the father, John says in John 1, 1 and 2. He was there with the father from the beginning and is in closest relationship to the father. John says in verse 18. This God who is fully God, equal with God, full of glory, full of majesty, Paul says he humbled himself. He willingly humbled himself and took upon himself the form of a servant, the form of a man. And so he came and humbled himself to be and to live among us like one of his own creatures. That is humility. 
He came to earth to live among us. John says in verse 14 that this word became flesh, became human, became man fully in every way and made his dwelling among us. The word that John uses there is a word that essentially means to pitch a tent, to pitch a tabernacle. Jesus came in the flesh and in so doing tabernacled among us. And I think John uses that word intentionally so that the minds of of us, our minds would go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus, to the tabernacle, and to think about the fact that in the tabernacle, God's presence, God's glory came to rest. And now in Jesus, John reveals to us, God's glory is here. Just as God's glory came down and resided with the people in the tabernacle, so now Jesus is the tabernacle, Jesus is the temple, and because he is here, God's glory is here. And so God graciously came and lived among us. He humbled himself and came to earth as a man to live among us. And we think about how Jesus came. He didn't come in royalty, did he? He didn't come in nobility. He didn't come in wealth. He wasn't born to a wealthy family, a family of kings, a family of nobles, a family of priests, well-respected in Israel. He was born to a poor couple in a, one of the poorest and most maligned of towns in Galilee, that of Nazareth. So much so that Nathaniel can say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's like the armpit of the place where you would think is the worst place you could possibly be from. That's where Jesus was from. Nothing good comes out of there. So not only humbling himself to become a man, but humbling himself to be a servant of a man and coming in poverty and weakness and living among us. And then Paul says, and giving himself ultimately to the death of the cross, to a Roman cross, to endure that shame and that humiliation. He humbled himself and came as a man to live among us. We also see in this passage that God was gracious to us in revealing his glory to us. He revealed his glory to us through the incarnation of the son. And so he came and humbled himself and lived as a man. That is gracious in and of itself. But he also, in this incarnation, revealed to us things that he didn't have to reveal. He revealed his glory. He revealed God. Verse 14 says that when this word became flesh and dwelt among us, it says he he made his glory visible. He made his glory known. John says we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And perhaps what John is referring to here when he says we have seen his glory is the time when John was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James and the veil was pulled back, if you will, on the true divine nature of Christ. And Jesus was transformed in front of them and his face shone in brilliant light. And in that moment, Peter, James, and John saw the glory, the brilliant manifest glory 
of God. Perhaps he's referring to that. He could also just simply be referring to the fact that just by the fact that Jesus is here, just by the fact that Jesus, the incarnate son of God is here, that is revealing the glory of God. But I think he wants us again, intentionally to think of the tabernacle, to think of the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God coming to rest on the tabernacle and God being present with his people. Now Jesus is present and in so doing, he is revealing the glory of God to us. Do you remember when in Exodus, Moses was on the mountain and he asked God, God, I want to see your glory. And God said, I will show you my glory, but I can't show you my face. I can't show you my full glory. And so I will hide you in this cleft of the rock. I'll, I'll cover my brightness of my glory from you. I'll shield you from it because you can't really see that and live but I'll pass over you and you'll see the back parts as I pass over you, kind of a residual effect of my glory. And God revealed that glory to Moses. But now Jesus is here. He says later in the passage that God gave the law through Moses, but now grace and truth are here through Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God is revealing more glory to us than he revealed to Moses on the mountain. The person of the Son of God is here. Verse 18, John says, no one has ever seen God. And so we think back to that time in Exodus when Moses saw the glory of God. He saw a part, a residual effect of the glory of God, but he didn't see fully God, did he? He didn't see the full glory of God. It was not possible, capable uh, of seeing that full glory of God. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son the only begotten son of God, who is himself God. And in closest relationship with the father, referring back to verses one and two, this word is God and is with God. He has made him known. He has revealed him. He has declared him. He has made him visible. In Jesus, the son of God, we have God made visible the most visible, the most revealed that we could ever see. He is here. The glory of God is here. Jesus is revealing, making known to us God. And so he is revealing his glory. Do you remember when Jesus said to Philip, this is in John 14, said, Philip, if you have seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. Because I'm here revealing the Father. I'm here revealing God. If you've seen me, you've seen God. That was an act of grace, wasn't it? God is under no compulsion. God is under no obligation to reveal his glory to us in this way. God is under no obligation to send his son to us, to come and live among us as a man. God is under no obligation to us as his creatures for anything. But God, out of his own graciousness and love, says, I am sending my son to become a man. And in so doing, he will reveal me, my glory to my creatures, to my image bearers. That's the grace of God. So God was gracious to us when he humbled himself and came to earth to live as a man. He was gracious to us when he revealed his glory through the incarnation of the son of God. 
And we also see in this passage, thirdly, that God was gracious to us when he gave us the truth of the gospel of Christ and the gift of salvation through him. He says in verse 14, that when this word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we saw his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. One of the commentaries that I read suggested that John in this phrase, full of grace and truth, is intentionally referring back to that incident on the mountain with Moses. When God passed over Moses and revealed a portion of his glory to him, in that passage, it also says that God declared something about himself. That as God passed over him, he declared his name, it says. It says, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, who is full of compassion and love, showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. I am slow to anger, abounding in mercy. And so many think that John is referring to that here when he says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. He is the glory of God revealed, just like God revealed his glory to Moses on the mountain. But now here in the flesh, Jesus is that divine name of God, the one who is hesed, the one who is lovingly faithful, the one who is true, the one who is just, the one who shows compassion. Jesus is here and he is God. And we know that John believes that Jesus is that God, that same God that revealed himself to Moses on the mountain, because later in the gospel of John, Jesus is going to say to the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. And it says they all fell backwards when Jesus made that statement. And they picked up stones then to stone him because they knew what Jesus was saying. They thought he was committing blasphemy, but really he was just speaking the truth. Jesus was saying, I am here. I am God. I am the great I am. Before Abraham ever existed, I have always existed. I am the eternal I am. The eternally existing one. The one who upholds everything else that exists. And he is full of grace and truth. Manifesting grace and compassion and faithfulness to his people. And notice what John says in verses 16 and 17. He highlights the grace of God when he says, Out of his fullness, that is out of the fullness of Jesus, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Grace upon grace. Grace multiplied. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Clearly in that statement in verse 17, John is saying something is going on here in the coming of Jesus that is history shaping. This is the hinge, the turning point of all of human history. Everything before this was leading up to this. 
Everything after this will flow from this. This is the turning point of all of history. All of this, the law of Moses, the whole Old Testament, all of the scriptures, the whole nation of Israel, that whole Old Testament period, it was all leading up to this. But now Jesus is here. And in the coming of Jesus, there is a fuller manifestation, a fuller gift, a granting of the grace of God than was seen in the law of Moses. Now Jesus is here. He is full of grace and he is providing us grace in place of grace, grace upon grace. What does John mean by this statement? He's giving us grace on top of grace. I think it's just essentially a way of saying that there is no way for us to fully comprehend the grace that God is giving to us and that there is no end. There is no limit to the grace that God is showing to condemned sinners. We are all, by nature, every single human being, we are guilty, aren't we? We're guilty. We all, by nature, from birth, we deserve God's wrath and condemnation. The only reason that we don't get that is because God is gracious. God shows grace. He shows love. And the greatest expression of the grace of God is the incarnation of the Son of God for our salvation. The greatest expression of the grace of God is the incarnation of the Son of God for our salvation. We read that in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. It's almost like John is saying, here is the the greatest expression, the greatest definition, the greatest example that I could possibly give you of the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son. How did he give him? Well, he gave him in incarnation, right? He sent him from heaven. He came to earth to live among us as a man. But that wasn't the end of it. He gave him also in humility, in service, in ministry, ultimately he gave him to sacrifice, to the death of the cross. He gave him so that those who believe in him might not perish, might not be condemned, might not go to hell, but have everlasting life. That's the love of God. And so what we celebrate at Christmas Every time that we give a gift, it is just a small little picture, small little uh, token, a symbol, if you will, of the greatest gift that has ever been given. And every time that we give a gift, that mind should, that, that thought should be on our minds. As we gather with our families and our friends this Christmas season, It's not just about the warm sentimentality. It's not just about the food. It's not just about the fellowship. It's not just about the gift giving. It's not about the lights or the decorations. All of those things are peripheral, aren't they? All those things are on the outside. What is at the center that that gave rise to all of those things is Christ. The coming of Christ, the enfleshment of Christ. 
and Christ coming to live among us as a humble servant and then to give himself for us to the death of the cross. So just as the angel revealed to Joseph, you will call his name Jesus. Why? Because he's a savior. He will save his people from their sins. Jesus came as a, as a baby, as a child. He came to live among us, to grow up among us, to live as a man among us, to endure all of the frustrations and weaknesses and, and difficulties of human existence and to be one of us so that he could fully represent us. And the perfect plan of God is that in Jesus, we have both God and man who can bring both parties together and reconcile them. Jesus is man and so represents us. Jesus is God and so represents God. And in his incarnation and life and death and resurrection and ascension to the throne of God, Jesus draws God and man together. A holy God and sinful people. He draws them together in himself. And so in him, in his fullness, we've received grace upon grace. That's the greatest expression of the grace of God that we can possibly imagine. The incarnation of the son of God for our salvation. My prayer is this, that if you don't believe this truth, and you're not living your life on the basis of this truth, that I pray that God would open your eyes to see it today. I pray that God would open your eyes so that you would believe, you know what, this is true. He is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the good news of God. He is the grace of God. I pray that your eyes will be open to believe in him and to realize that you have no hope in yourself, but your only hope is in Christ. For those of us who are Christians who believe in the name of the Son of God, my prayer is that God will draw you closer and closer to him, to worship him, to think about this gift of grace. And in thinking about this gift of grace, that it will cause praise and thanksgiving to arise in our hearts. And that also we might then show the grace and mercy of God to others. Because we have been given much. Therefore, much is expected of us in response to other people. We should forgive, Jesus says, because God has forgiven us. We should be merciful to others. Why? Because our father is merciful, Jesus says. And so may this cause praise and worship to arise in our hearts, but may that transform then how we think and how we live and how we treat one another. Because the Christian faith is not just something that we think or believe in our heads. It's also something then that, that transforms us and expresses itself in our actions and words to people. So may this gospel of grace well up within us, thanksgiving and praise, but then let it overflow into our acts of love and kindness to those around us. And in so doing, may Jesus Christ be praised this Christmas season and always through us as his people. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, you are so gracious. As Paul says in Ephesians, you have done for us uh, more than we can possibly imagine or think. Your love is abounding 
overflowing. And we thank you, Father, that you have given us Christ, that at this season we especially celebrate the birth of your Son, the incarnation of the Son of God. We think and reflect upon this little child that fully human in every way, yet without sin, grew up, lived among us, went through the difficulties and hardships of this life so that he might faithfully represent us as our great high priest and understand the difficulties that we go through. We thank you, Father, that this person, Jesus, has come and that through him, he has brought us your glory. He's revealed your glory to us and he has brought us in his fullness, grace and truth. Father, I pray that you would open eyes to see and believe this morning, cause praise and worship to arise in our hearts. Father, motivate us and, and move us to love our, our neighbors as ourselves and to love even those that uh, do not treat us well, to love even our enemies as you have called us to do in your word. Father, do your work in our hearts that is only possible by your grace and through your spirit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.